Well, it's good to be back in God's house today here at Porchlight Baptist Church. Enjoyed all that good singing. I've been singing for a long time. But that first song we started with this morning, The Family of God, I want to read you those the, the words of that uh, chorus. It says, I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm part of the family, the family of God. Uh, Brother Bill Gaither wrote that uh, song. It's a good song. Uh, and it, uh, it goes right along with the message this morning that we're going to be preaching, Lord willing. Out of the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8, we'll be taking our text from this morning. I forgot to put it up here on our screen, but uh, you'll find it there in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8. And we'll look at verses 12 through 17 this morning, Lord willing. As we look at this message I've titled, Children of God. Uh, Romans chapter 8, starting verse 12, and here the Bible says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Thank you for the good songs we've been singing, the good spirit Lord, may you now help me as I try to preach. Lord, keep us out of the way and let you be seen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The children of God. The children of God. Well, we pick up here in our studies back in Romans. We were in here, I believe it's been three weeks since we were in our sermon series, Rooting Through Romans. This is part number 22, if you're keeping up with that. I believe we preached at Northside after that last one. Then Father's Day was last Sunday. We preached on Father's. And so as we pick up here in this uh, chapter 8, we've already looked at those first 11 verses, uh, which is the reason Paul uses the word therefore again. Therefore, because of what I just told you in these previous words, uh, this. And uh, so what, what we're going to find here is something that's really assuring. Just like last or the last time, it was so assuring that we knew that we... Once we were saved, we no longer had to pay the penalty for sin. We cannot come under condemnation. That was what the theme of it was last time. No condemnation in Christ. And so therefore, if you are in Christ, you cannot be condemned for your sins. Uh, because Christ took that condemnation for you when he hung on the cross. And so we look at these next six verses. It also brings us great news. Uh, the truths that God has given us here, that those that are saved, those that are truly saved are made children of God. Not only children, but heirs. The Bible says heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And so these are some wonderful things that we're going to be looking at as this unfolds. As First of all, we're going to look at these first verses, verses 12 and 13, and discuss that some, and then we'll get into the meat of it there as we, as we reach into verse 14. But look at verse 12 there. It says, Therefore... Brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. 
Well, so, again, Paul uses that term therefore, meaning because of what I just said, because there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ, then therefore this, uh, you are not debtors to the flesh, he says. That's what he first comes out saying. We are not debtors, and we all know what a debtor is. It's someone who owes. We owe someone or something else for what we've gotten. Or it's just a debt that we, we owe because we have to pay it. We are uh, charged with that debt. And so unless you're filthy rich, then you have either already went in debt in your life or you're going to go in debt or you've been in debt, unless you're just a millionaire, I guess. Uh, we all usually have to go in debt for things such as a home. Uh, we went in debt for this home back in, what was it, 1995. And I believe we've got 10 more years and we'll be have this home paid off and I'll be glad of that. Right now, the bank owns the home, but we're debtors to the bank and we pay them monthly to be able to live in this home. And so it's the same with automobiles. Most people go in debt to get a new automobile unless you want to drive a pile of junk all the time and have to work on it every time you go out. I've done that many times. But unless you want to drive a piece of junk, then you buy a new vehicle. And most people have to go in debt because they're very expensive these days. And you can even go as far as, I believe, eight years now. is uh, You can go in an eight-year uh, debt for a new automobile. Uh, crazy to think about that. But Paul's not speaking about an earthly debt that we owe. Uh, he is speaking more of a, a spiritual debt, uh, more of a, uh, a debt that we will have to pay because of sin. Now, he says that we that are saved are not debtors to the flesh, meaning our mortal, sinful bodies. If we were debtors to the flesh, then the flesh would be our master. Uh, whoever you're in debt to, that is your master. You have to um, do the master's bidding. If the bank, for instance, comes and says, we're going to up your finance rate, even though we signed a contract, we're going to up your finance rate. Well, you're in debt to them. Unless you go and, and change your loan to somebody else, you've got to do what they say because they are the master over your loan. Well, if you are a master, or if you're following the debt, or, or the debt of flesh, you're a debtor to the flesh, that means your flesh is your master. A Christian, their, their flesh is not their master. The Lord is their master. And because we know that sin brings forth death, the Bible tells us over and over, sin brings forth death, then anyone that is not saved is a debtor to the flesh, because the flesh is carnal, is sinful, and it must pay for sin. Uh, a person who dies their sin dies a debtor to the flesh. And the only way that you can pay the sin debt, and it never gets paid off, by the way, if you're unsaved, your sin debt never gets paid. However, your punishment, your payment is to spend eternity in hell. And in hell, you will not be annihilated. You will be forever uh, aware uh, and and sense. You'll know everything. You'll, you'll have all your senses, all your feelings, all that in hell, and you'll continually pay your sin debt if you're unsaved. You could actually call hell a debtor's prison with a life sentence at 100% interest rate. That's what hell is for those that are lost. But we that are saved are not debtors to the flesh. We will never have to experience hell. Someone has already paid our sin debt. That's, that someone, of course, is the Lord Jesus. He hung on the cross of Calvary. 
and shed his blood for our sins. And because we believed in his atoning sacrifice for our sin, then we, our sins, were paid. We simply, by faith, through his grace, become saved. And because of that, we are not debtors to the flesh. We're debtors, or we're, our master is the spirit, or it should be. And so, God's wrath on sin was appeased through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Now, we find that, of course, in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11 says this. It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And so the prophet Isaiah here is giving prophecy of the time that Jesus would die on the cross. And do you notice what it said? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And the, in other words, it pleased the Father to put to death his son. Now, when it says it pleased him, it doesn't mean it made him happy. It don't mean that God was overjoyed because his son died on the cross. That's not what it means at all. When it says it pleased the Lord, it means it pleased his wrath against sin and the sinner. Make sure you don't separate the sin and the sinner. They go together. And I know that's not popular. Uh, you see, sin angers God. He hates sin and he hates those who commit sin. And like I said, that flies in the face of Today's modern thinking. People say, now, wait a minute, Brother Byron. We're to hate the sin and love the sinner. And so they come up with this little cutesy Christian cliche. You know, hate the sin, but love the sinner. And I want to say something to you this morning. I want you to hear me well. And I'm going to tell you from the Bible. These little fluffy sayings like this, these little Christian cliches, do more damage to the cause of Christ and to the truth of the gospel than anything. Uh, because you have these people stand up, they'll stand behind pulpits and, and Sunday school lecterns or wherever it is. You know, hate to sin, but love to sin. And so supposedly we're, we're supposed to only hate that sin that, that has been committed, but not that individual sinner. Well, listen, we have a merciful and loving God. He's long-suffering. He's full of grace, full of mercy, full of love. And the Bible says that he loved the world. In, in fact, he loved the world so much he gave his own son for the world. But you listen, it's very clear from God's word that his wrath is not poured out upon sin. It's poured out upon the sinner. You cannot separate the sin from the sinner. God's wrath, his anger is directed toward individuals who sin. Now don't just take my word for it. Listen to what the Bible says. Psalms 5, 4 through 6 says this. For thou art not a God that has pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. Do you see that, what it said there? It's, it, it's directed toward, it said, those that God hates, all workers of iniquity. 
Who did it say he would destroy? Them that speak leasing. That means liars, or in other words, sinners. And so, you know, you may say, well, that's in the Old Testament, Brother Byron. God was much angrier back then, and that's another dumb thing that people want to say. God's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's not changed. His attitude towards sin has not changed. In fact, in the New Testament, over in the Gospel of John, John 3 and 36, the Bible says, and this is from Jesus' own lips, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on who? Him. Did it say the wrath of God abideth on sin? No. It said on him. You cannot separate the sin from the sinner. So, who or what does the wrath of God abide on? Him that believeth not. Those that are not saved. The individual sinner. Sin does not sin on its own. There's no such thing as, as there's a box of sin over there somewhere. And that lid's going to come off and that sin's going to come out and start sinning. That's not how it happens. Sin is contrived inside of an individual human heart. And sin, of course, brings forth death. But when you act upon that sin, you sin and you, you must have forgiveness for that sin. Otherwise, you have to pay the penalty for it. And so our sin is when we rebel against God. That's what sin is, rebellion against God. Every person that's born of a woman is a sinner. All of sin come short of the glory of God. We all inherited the sin nature from Adam. And so we all have that sin problem. And we have, what's happened in today's world, we've taken the responsibility of the sin off of the sinner and placed it just on the sin. You know? Oh, he's, don't, don't get on him now. He can't help it. That sin that's in him. That's what's doing it. No, it's him doing it. He's giving in to sin. And so the responsibility must rest on the shoulders of the, the sinner. But today, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to make anybody mad. We don't want to run anybody off. So anything goes. Oh, you do that? <laughs> okay, just don't let me see you do it. It's fine. You know? we, we hate the sin, but we love the sinner. You know? And so uh, we wonder why the church today has lost its power. We wonder why churches are splintering and splittering all over the place. It's because what we've done, we've diminished the Word of God by using these little cutesy Christian cliches and little dumb sayings like that that's not in the Bible. Uh, Romans 3 and 4 says, God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written that, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. So before we go around pronouncing these little cute sayings, you know, and cliches, make sure first it lines up with the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, then don't be going around claiming it. And so, listen, I'm glad I don't have to worry about God's wrath on me because of the sin that I've committed. Me as a sinner, because it's the individual who's going to suffer in hell for their sin. And so just uh, keep that in mind. But back to our text there. Look at verse 13 there again there toward the end of it. Paul says, But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Notice the usage of the capital S in the word Spirit right there. It indicates the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
of he's a member of the triune Godhead, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so it's not man's spirit he's talking about here that, that mortifies the deeds of the body. It's God's spirit that does the mortification of the deeds of the body. And so mortification, mortify, means to be put to death. And so what Paul's saying is here, but ye, pointing at the individual, through the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body. So the deeds of the body gets put to death by the power of the Holy Spirit in its continual process. And we, we refer to it sometimes as sanctification. It's as we walk through this life and we walk closer to God, we are obedient to God, and we are led by the Spirit. In fact, that's the first thing he said, those that are led by the Spirit. Not everybody's being led by the Spirit. Lost people are not led by the Spirit. They cannot be because the Spirit does not indwell within them. Saved people have the opportunity to be led by the Spirit, but sadly, most Christians are not led by the Spirit. They're led by their own lust and flesh in the world and everything else. But if we're led by the Spirit, what that means is we are obedient to the Holy Spirit. We're living in a, a fashion that's pleasing to, to the Lord. Uh, and we can, we follow what the Holy Spirit leads us to. See, when you uh, go against what the Spirit is leading you to, you're not being led by Him. And therefore, you are not you're not being pleasing to God. You're not living a life that you should be living as, as a Christian. And so we must mortify or put to death that sin that's in our life. Because we're still earthly, because we're still fleshly, and we're mortal, we'll continue to have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. We'll continue to have to pray and ask for forgiveness. No, you're not going to, if you sin, you're not going to lose your salvation or anything like that. Your fellowship is what you break when you sin against God. But we continually ask for forgiveness, and God is faithful and just to forgive us for our, our sins and all of our uh, unrighteousness. And so, um, if you're not going through a continual mortification of your sin, if you're not aware, if the Holy Spirit is not making you aware of your sinful condition when you sin, then there's a good chance you are not saved. Every Christian is indwelled within the Holy, with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit guides, the Holy Spirit chastens, the Holy Spirit says, mm, the Holy Spirit is the one that brings your attention, your conscience, to, to understand what you're doing is wrong. And if that's not happening to you, there's a good chance you are not saved. And so, uh, we'll never be perfect or sinless until we reach heaven. But we should be getting better. We should be getting better. All right, look at verse 14 of our text back there in Romans 8. For as many as are led, there, there it is, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. All right, the sons of God, the family of God, the children of God. Uh, all these things are, are together. Uh, when you become saved, you become a child of God, not before. If you're not saved, you are not a child of God. Can I say it again? If you're not saved, you are not a child of God. And you can take the Bible and you can show me through there. If you can show me differently, then you do that. You'll not find in the Bible that people that are lost are ever considered children of God. They are not. They're not part of God's family. Uh, in fact, we find that the Bible describes them as children of the devil. Children of 
wickedness. And so, you know, today people want to say, well, we're all God's children. There's another one of those little cutesy Christian cliches that needs to die a quick and painful death. We're all God's children. No, we are not. Those that are saved are God's children. If you're lost, if you're not saved, you belong to Satan. And we can back that up by the Bible. Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the scribes over in John chapter 8, verses 39 through 47. Now remember who these guys are. These Pharisees, these scribes, these were the religious leaders of the day, the Jewish religious leaders. Of anyone you would think, well, surely they are saved. Surely they are children of God. You'd be totally wrong to believe that. Look at John 8 and 39. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, uh, which I have heard of God, this did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Now, here, here it is. Jesus is going to tell them who they belong to, who they're actually children of. They're claiming children of Abraham but just because they're Jewish heritage. And they, they claim to be children of God. But Jesus is going to tell them different. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. See, they're claiming to be children of God right here. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, do you notice he said, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil. You see that? They claim to be children of God. They claim God is their father. Abraham is their father. Jesus is not. No, no, no. Your father, verse 44, the devil. And the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? If I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Brother Byron, we're all children of God. Wrong. Jesus said otherwise. Later on, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees again, in that famous woe chapter, all those woes. Listen to what he said in Matthew 23 and 15. He says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he's made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. I thought he, we were all children of God. No, there's, there's children of hell. People that are of hell. The Pharisees were not saved. The scribes were not saved. They were religionists. Religionists. Jesus said that they go about making proselyte. A proselyte is someone who converts over to a different religion. So in this case, he's talking about they go around and, and convert a Gentile into a Jew, into Judaism. And he says, when you do that, when you get one of these Gentiles who's already a child of hell into Judaism, you make them twofold more a child of hell. In other words, they're, they're going to be almost unreachable. 
they're, they're more closer to hell because they accepted Judaism than they were just being a Gentile. At least they had a chance then. And so, uh, listen, not everybody's a child of God, but saved people, and the Bible says who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Of course, that word son could be a universal term meaning everyone, sons and daughters, children. Uh, really, you could say that. All right, now look back in Romans 8 and 15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, because of sin, lost people have a fear of, of death. Uh, they have a spirit of bondage, what the Bible said, to fear. That means you're a slave to your fear. Uh, the, the man that's lost and don't have any hope of, of seeing heaven, don't, don't have any clue of what's going to happen to him. When he goes, he's in constant bondage to that fear of dying. Now listen, we all naturally don't want to die. I mean, everybody wants to live, right? That's why we go to the doctor. If everybody wants to go ahead and go ahead and die, I'm just going to heaven just next time you get sick, don't go to the doctor. Don't take medicine for high blood pressure. Don't do any of that stuff. And you'll eventually die, and then you'll get your wish. You're going to heaven. <laughs> But we all have a natural inclination. It's our, our, our fleshly nature. We want to live. However, we see here that the lost people, they have this spirit of bondage to fear of death. Um, the natural, natural man fears it. Listen to how the Hebrew writer says it. In Hebrews 2 and 14 through 15. It says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... He also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, the Hebrew writer had it understood there. He said that Jesus came, sacrificed himself, so that people didn't have this fear of bondage to death. He took that from them. So the saved person doesn't have the spirit of bondage to fear because the Lord Jesus took it from us. Our text says, but you have received the, there, the capital S again, spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Uh, Paul uses this same terminology and this same reasoning in his letter to the Galatians. Listen to what he said to them. Galatians 4, 6 and 7. And because ye are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so we do not fear the death because we're sons of God. Sons of God are not going to experience the death of hell. And you, typically when the Bible is talking about death or life, it's talking about death being hell and life being heaven. Essentially, you could, you could say that. And so, uh, we, we come before him without any fear, and we can cry out to him as if we would our earthly father. That's those terms right there, that uh, Abba Father, it, it actually has the meaning behind it, sort of like Daddy, or Papa. Some people call, call their dads Papa. Uh, my, my oldest daughter, for some reason, started calling me Pop Pop over this past year. I don't know why. Uh, but it's the same... Earth, kind of the earthly way we think toward our fathers of that love that we have for them and that endearment, we can have the same thing with God the Father. You know, I know we're to fear the Lord. That's the truth. But we're to have that same love, that same intimate relationship with our 
our Heavenly Father like we would with our own earthly father and have that same no fear to come before him and say, Daddy, you know, I called my my dad my father dad. That's that's just what I called him. I called my mom mom. Uh, so mother and father, dad, mom, uh, because I have a had a father son relationship with him, and so I had no problem saying, "Hey, dad," you know, or I'd call up the house and mom and dad would say, "Is dad there?" Yeah. You know? uh, I wish I could still do that. He's he's gone now, but uh, uh, but we have that relationship because we belong to them. I I could I called my dad dad because I was his son. I belonged to him. I was his child. And we belong to God. We are his children because he, the Bible says, adopted us. (laughs) That word adopt means to choose to legally take another person's child into your own family and take care of him or her as if they were your own. They're not considered stepchildren that's been thrown on you. They're not considered someone that you've been forced to take care of. You're not a, a babysitter. They belong to you. They're just as if they're your own children. That's what God done with us. So God was not forced to take us as his children. He voluntarily took us as his children. We have 100% full rights to God as our father. Also, this was not just a spur of the moment thing. God didn't just one day look and say, "Hmm, you know what? I guess I'll adopt anybody that, that accepts my son because they really need to be because they're going to go to hell. It wasn't a, a, just a spur-of-the-moment decision that God made. In fact, he made this decision before he even framed this world. Before the world was ever created, God did this. And he planned our adoption before he created Ephesians 1, 3-6. through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Listen to verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. That word predestinated means to determine beforehand. And so before God ever created this world, he made the decision to adopt us through his son into his own family and to make us 100% his children, his family. The children of God. That's what we're talking about this morning. The children of God. All right, now look at our next verses. Verses 16, 17 will be finished. Romans 8. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. And join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him that we may be also glorified together. Now these two verses right here are some of the most glorious verses in all the Bible where the believer is concerned. It gives us great assurance that yes, those that are in Christ are children of God. We're, we're heirs of God and we're joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. 
And so his spirit bears witness with our spirit, he says. And, uh, and what that is, that means he reveals unto us the truth that we belong to God. His Holy Spirit, it says, uh, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. You know what a witness is. Someone that says, hey, I saw the whole thing. I'm a witness to it. He says, so I'm going to make you a witness to this. You belong to God. And the Holy Spirit is the one that reveals that to us. And so we can say without a doubt, if you're saved today, God is my Father. Abba Father. Dad. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like to refer to God as, as Dad, but the Bible says Abba Father, which is kind of the same. But listen, we gain so many things because of this relationship that we have. Because we're children of God. Because we're heirs of God. We get all of the benefits that go with being God's children. You know, some people, their parents had great wealth and they received a lot of benefits when their parents passed away and they received an inheritance. Uh, they were they were those that were heirs to their parents. And a lot of them received great wealth. I, I know some people that received houses and, and uh, lands and all this stuff and they become very wealthy because they were heirs to their parents. Uh, I don't have such a thing. My parents are not well off or wealthy like that. I'll never receive such a uh, an inheritance. But the inheritance that I'm going to receive because I'm a child of God far outweighs anything that you're going to find here on this earth. You know, we live in this little bitty brick rancher here that we're still paying on. And while we love it, uh, it's, it's really nothing but, but a speck when it comes to think of what God has laid in store for us in heaven. Jesus said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, you may be also. And he said, in his father's house are many mansions. And while he didn't say, I made you a mansion up there, he said, in his father's house are many mansions. And he was going to take us up there. I can only assume we have a mansion to move into. Uh, you know? Um, we sing that song, you know, a mansion over the hilltop. And a lot of people say, that's so spiritual. Well, that's all in the Bible, so, you know, whatever you want to believe. But uh, to be an heir means that you become the legal owner of someone else's inheritance. And so that means we legally own the things of God by, all, by, by law, by God's own law. And not only that, but we become joint heirs or co-heirs, you can say, with Christ. The same inheritance that Christ is inheriting. Now, I don't know if you even can fathom that. But the Bible tells us this. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, listen, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Knows that the worlds didn't just say the world, the worlds. So if Jesus is heir of all things, and if we are joint heirs with Christ, what what does that mean to us? We also inherit all things. All things. We're the heir of all things. One of the greatest things about the inheritance that we receive and becoming an heir is just like with an earthly heir, you do not have to work 
to be an heir, to, to, to get the inheritance. There's no work involved on your part. It is bestowed upon you. If suddenly one day somebody come to the door and said, you know, you've received an inheritance from such and such, that means I'm an heir to that, uh, whatever they had. That's legal agreement there. I didn't work for it. You know, I didn't expect it. It's nothing I did, but it was bestowed upon me. The same thing with God. To become an heir with God, there is absolutely no work involved in doing it. There's nothing that you do on your part to become this heir because God bestowed it upon you through his son, Jesus Christ, simply by grace through faith. And no, faith is not a work. There is a uh, heresy going around these days claiming that, that having faith is actually a work, that work is involved in something. It is not a work. In fact, faith is a gift of God. God's the one that gives us the faith. It is nothing that, that we've ever done. God gave us that faith to have faith in him. <laughs> and so all things belong to him. We don't work to receive this inheritance. It's bestowed upon us by his grace through faith and by simply believing in Jesus. The Bible says, believe on the name of the Lord, now shall be saved. Believing in his finished work on the cross, his atonement for sin is simply all that's involved and having faith in him, and he bestows all the benefits upon us of a child of God. So isn't it wonderful to be a child of God, to be an heir of God, and to be a joint heir with Christ? All the benefits that come to us simply because God loves us, because of Jesus. I tell you what, it's something else when you think about it. It's more than our minds can really handle. And uh, what a wonderful thing. All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning, Lord, thanking you for these truths. Lord, for this uh, wonderful thing that we, we studied here in your word. God, we know your word is all truth. And Lord, we know that when we're saved, we become your child. We become an heir of yours. We become joint heirs with your son, Jesus. And we inherit all things along with him. God, what a, what a marvelous, miraculous thing that is. For us, we're not worthy. Lord, we don't deserve it. There's nothing we could do to ever earn any of that. But God, thank you for loving us. Lord, I'm asking right now for that one that has never believed in the gospel, who is not one of your children, Lord. Lord, if you'll convict their heart, Lord, show them the need that they need to be saved, Lord, because they're not going to inherit the things of God. Yet they will have to go to hell and suffer the penalty for eternity. For eternity, God. I'm praying for them today. Lord, we thank you for all the things you bless us with. Thank you for our church. These things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to think about. As I was studying this this whole week, and I tell you what, the Lord, uh, he starts showing you things like that. And it gets exciting. And even though you've read, I mean, I've read those verses my entire life. You know, and you've heard that that uh, term, join heirs with Christ. We sung about it this morning. Um, sometimes the Lord just 
illuminates things for you like no other time. And that's the way it was with this for me this week as, as I started thinking about all those wonderful benefits, for lack of better terms, of just simply being part of God's family. Uh, it's wonderful. All right. Well, I'll, I'll stop before I get back into the message. But, uh, are all hearts and minds clear this morning? All right. If you're the Lord, we're separated. <laughs>